Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Ben Murgy, and this is not that kind of rabbi. Well, we decided that uh, we would send more signals from the attic, as it were, as isolation of the self continues. If you've never heard this podcast before, I usually interview people when we do it. Um, but uh, as everything else has changed, so has that idea. Because I want to remain current, and uh, I want to be able to reach out to you personally to be able to say, how are you? How are you doing? And I know the initial response most people have to that question is, oh, fine, good, I'm fine, thanks. But I've noticed in myself that I'll say that, And then I'll go to sleep for the evening, and in the middle of the night, I'll wake up having had dreams like I did last night, where people are standing too close to me, where danger is all around me, where I don't understand why people are so close to me. Why didn't they hear it? Didn't they get the memo? Move back. Stay away from me. That's a hard thing for a human being. We're very social beings, and all of a sudden we're in a world where we're afraid of each other. We don't know who's got it. We don't even know what it is. We don't understand how it works. Why does it do nothing to some people and kill other people in a couple of days? What is that? There's something strangely parallel. Oh, see? There's my dog. <laughs> this is what it's like to try to do a podcast from your house with everybody home all the time. <laughs> it's hard. And like other things, like the Australian continent being literally on fire, there's a feeling of... This being of biblical proportions, of calamitous ruin, of floods that cover the earth, that fires that rage, the plagues that happen. In about a week or so, we'll be doing Passover. And that's a lot of bad news at once for a lot of people, Passover. The ten plagues themselves, they're not done to no one. They're done to the Egyptian at that point in time, in that story, in that narrative they suffer the consequences of a hardened heart. And there's an argument, you know, why, why would the Pharaoh have such a hardened heart? And why did, in the scriptures, why is it that God hardens his heart? What's that about? He's setting your people up for suffering. We're suffering because we don't know what's going on. The people of Italy are suffering, the people of Spain, the people of China, the people of the United States, the people of Canada, the Netherlands. This is a very biblical and strange event. Something disturbed me, though. In all of the uh, noise about the COVID-19 virus, I happened upon a pastor from the United States, an evangelical pastor, and I'm not one of these people who thinks that everyone who's an evangelical is wrong. I'm not. 
if you want an evangelical that I find fascinating and interesting, then look for a man named Tony Campolo. He's what's called a red-letter Christian. He was called that by a Jewish radio disc jockey during an interview where he said, well, you're a red-letter Christian then. And Campo said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, you know, in the Gideon Bible, everything that is what Jesus was literally supposed to say and have said is in red letters. And if you take all that and put it together, it's about love and charity and kindness and compassion and taking care of each other. And the vulnerable and the weak are the most important to take care of, the washing of feet of the poor. But this pastor wasn't one of those. This pastor was talking about this being an evil plague. And he went as far as to say that it was an evil plague perpetrated by my people, by Jews. Now, this is not the first time in history that somebody has decided that if things are happening out of their control and they're dark and evil, that the Jew is to blame. But we can't just slough it off. We can't just say, oh, you know, they always do that. It's important, not only for Jewish people. It's important that when someone decides that they have figured out who the enemy is and that it's another human being, we all have a lot of suffering to go through at that point. I mean, I grew up in a time in an era where the Hebrew school teachers I had had numbers on their arm from concentration camps that they had survived while six million others had been murdered. And a lot of people around me, a lot of Jewish people around me, really felt a kind of exceptionalism born out of defensiveness. Well, if they're going to hate us, we're going to hate them right back. Anti-Semitism was something I didn't want to have infect my body and my system and my soul. I didn't want to be that person always looking for the person who hates us. And I'm not that person, I hope. I'm proud of what I am. I wouldn't have called this podcast Not That Kind of Rabbi and used the word rabbi if I wanted to hide. I don't want to hide. I'm proud. I think everyone should be proud of being a human being. And whatever well we dig to get to that river of wisdom and knowledge and creation, more power to you. Just dig it. But on this occasion, I found myself going, make note don't just let it pass. Don't just let things go. We're not going to be the fall guy for this one. Not for this man. Not for this man who's weak of mind. You know, it's a. am not a rabbi. And I always say that at the beginning of my podcast. I, I just say, if I was, I wouldn't be that kind of rabbi. I am what's called a mashpia, a spiritual director. And that was three years of training, and I cherish it. And I'm actively involved in Jewish men's leadership groups in the United States, mostly. We're a little behind on that one here in Canada. But I think this is a time in our aloneness where we have to find what it is, that connective tissue that makes us all human. We're all a little afraid right now of ourselves, of each other. That's tough. That's tough we're all also faced with 
who we live with and how we live with them and how that goes. In a way, we haven't. You know, I've said to people, and I think I, I said it in a previous podcast, that this is a, a kind of Sabbath, a Sabbath on acid, <laughs> for lack of a better way of describing it. Sabbath is the stopping of the doing and the beginning of the being in a week. And it's to happen every week. And you're to power down, literally, the phone, the work, the power, the car, the errands, the busyness. Or as is said by Charles Dickens in A Christmas Carol, mankind was my business. Well, right now, mankind is our business. Because the businesses are closed. And all we have is each other. So I, I do find myself hoping we don't turn on each other. Because this is only the beginning of what's going to be a, a long journey. The premier of the province of Ontario uh, said today, I don't want to tell you what the models show us. I don't want people to panic. But what the models are showing him is that this is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And a lot worse means people will be dying. So what are we going to do to hold on to ourselves and hold on to each other? How are we going to help ourselves through this? That's the question. If you have thoughts on that, go on my Twitter account, at Ralph Ben Murgy. Tell me, spiritually, how do we get through this? And let's try to move beyond that, that I'll pray for you thing. Most of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, are either not very good at praying or don't do it. I'm not very good at praying. I've been happy to be involved in my religious life for, for oh, 60 plus years. But I still find the prayer issue problematic because I'm not one who believes that there's somebody listening to me. I believe I have to become available to what's already around me. And that is the question of listening, not speaking. And I'm certainly not a transactional person saying, you know, dear God, if you give me this, I'll give you that. You know, I'd rather do that with Santa Claus. It works better that way. If I really behave, maybe I'll get that bicycle. By the way, if you want to subscribe, please do go to any of the podcatchers or the one you're listening on right now and just subscribe to Not That Kind of Rabbi. Uh, we really enjoy putting these together for you, and uh, I'd love your feedback. I really would. So uh, if you're so inclined, you can either go on Twitter or Facebook, uh, Ralph Benmergie on Facebook, or you can just get me at ralphbenmergie at gmail.com. And Ben Mergi is an odd spelling because I'm a Moroccan and it's kind of Spanish and Hebraic spelling. Ben, of course, being son of, every language has its son ofs. Ski, Mick, Mac, O, Vich, and of course, Ben and Bin. Bin Mergi would be Arabic, Ben Mergi would be Hebrew. And uh, Mergi is Medigi, M-E-R-G-U-I. If you ever see the word Guillermo, which is Spanish for William, you'll see that Guillermo is G-U-I-L-L. Two L's being a Y in Spanish grammar. But I digress. I'm just trying to say I'd love to listen to your thoughts on this 
pandemic moment in our lives. I was looking at my my 10-year-old and thinking, you're going to remember this. This is going to be a thing. Do you remember when the earth stood still? Do you remember when school changed from being in a classroom to being in my living room with my father going through lessons? There's a lot of opportunity in this, provided you're not someone who gets terribly ill. Uh, I was thinking about uh, John Prine. I don't know how he's doing. Uh, I haven't heard anything today. I haven't checked. Yesterday he was in critical condition, stable but critical. I had a moment in my life where I was interviewing um, people like John Prine for the public uh, broadcaster here in Canada, the CBC. Uh, And it was a privilege. I, I never mistook the fact that they were there because I was at the CBC, not because they were going to talk to me. I, I could have been anybody. But John Prine came in and he had his guitar with him. And it was a, a quiet summer morning. I was filling in for one of the legends of broadcasting here in Canada, Peter Zosky. And we had a show we did one summer called Summerside. His show was called Morningside. So we did a show called Summerside. Uh, and John Prine came in for an interview. And I had been an admirer of his music and his storytelling for a long time. And I'm not much of a fan guy, fanboy or whatever, uh, when it comes to interviewing. I believe that if you're going to interview people, you really don't have the luxury of fawning over them. You uh, you keep yourself together. If the audience loves or hates them, that's their choice. You just want people to see who they are as people. Well, there was John Prine, and there we were having a wonderful conversation, as I remember it, a long-form interview, which is my favorite. And... I just couldn't help myself and said, would you mind, would you mind just getting the guitar and is there any chance you could sing hello in there for us? And he just said, sure, no problem. And he got his guitar and he sang that song, which is just a beautiful song about, you know, end of life, life, you know, the so-called bliss of retirement and staring through the back door screen and all the news repeats itself like some forgotten dream. So if you're walking past and see those hollow ancient eyes, don't pass them by. Say hello in there. And he sang it, and it was beautiful. And I was three feet away from him. Social distancing, I guess. Maybe four three feet away and listening to John Prine and thinking, I'm the luckiest man in the world right now. I have a great job. So I'm thinking of John Prine because he has COVID-19 and it's not going well. And I have no idea that by the time you hear this, he's passed away or he managed to dodge the bullet and he's still with us. I keep seeing these images of people, you know, this person and that person who had died today of COVID-19. And it seems so surreal. I didn't see anything coming. I didn't see any kind of danger. I don't see clouds darkening around me. I just see sunshine and birds and spring arriving and people walking with their families, but on the other side of the street from me. There's just something dissonant about all this. It doesn't seem to fit and you can't put your hand around it. There's no enemy you can see. What a strange feeling that is, I have to say. 
From a spiritual point of view, the Passover story seems relevant to me at this moment. Passover and Easter are just around the corner. And no, we won't be gathering in churches and synagogues, contrary to what some people, including the President of the United States, kept reassuring everybody would happen until finally he realized he should jump ahead of the next parade and that it wasn't going to happen. It's hard to have someone like him in the middle of this conversation, I have to say. But anyway, the Passover story has a pharaoh in it. And the pharaoh chases the Israelites to the Red Sea. And they have to take a moment at the Red Sea. They have to figure out what's going on. And Moses is being turned on by the people saying, look what you've done. You took us out of the comfort of our slavery, and now you're going to get us slaughtered by the people who were our overlords. What were we thinking that we were better than this? And in the middle of that, he's praying and praying, but there's someone, tribal leader named Nachshon, who's decided to just either, and I love this part, he's either fallen in or walked in. And I don't think it matters how you get in, falling in or walking in. He walks into the water and he just begins to walk and the water gets to his knees and to his hips and to his chest and to his nose and he just keeps walking. And Moses is just petitioning like crazy and he hears the voice inside, the voice, the little small voice within and it says, what are you asking me for? Look at that guy. Follow him. And everyone follows into the water because that is the leap of faith. And they get to the other side. And we're going to have to do something about that moment. And we're going to have to find our leap of faith moment as a group, as a society and all this, I think. So know that there's a, a spiritual energy to tap into there of the universal yearning for survival and for thriving and for togetherness in all of what we do. And the other part of the Passover story is the the idea that allegorically, if you look at what is supposed to be Mitzrayim or Egypt, it is really about the narrowing, that narrowness that we have to enter, that razor's edge that we walk from our birth to our death. We walk our lives on that razor's edge, and we are on one of those points now. And this will call us to be the best person or the worst person depending on the day. I mean, there are times with my two younger boys who are still with me in this home with my wife, where I'm just like, I've got nothing left. Just like, oh, just, just look in the fridge. Just do the piano thing. Just do it. And there's other times where I just feel blessed that I have these people to keep me company. Them, our cats, our dog, all of them. So reach out, talk to people, find a way to lend a hand spiritually to other people because we're all yearning for that. I think that's the most important thing to do. So here we are, it's nighttime, it's daytime, it's nighttime, it's daytime. Someone had a cardboard uh, that he held over his head and said, what friggin' day is this? <laughs> you know, the stories, they keep coming the way we all cope. There are stories that break your heart and stories that make you happy. We need them both. 
We can't pretend it's all going to be fine, and we can't pretend it's all going to be the end of the world. My uh, little one today did a little history research project, my 10-year-old did one, on the Spanish flu. And the numbers are incredible. 50 million people die. 500 million people get it, one quarter of the world's population at the time. What a thing. They underreported at the time because World War I was going on and the senseless slaughter of that particular event, that dark event of our history, uh, didn't want to be overshadowed by the event that was bigger than any of us, which was that flu. Right now we're all in a sort of suspended animation. You know, here in uh, Ontario and Canada, five weeks ago, the biggest story was that the government had got license plate colors wrong. It was kind of a infotainment culture that we've been in. And now all that seems ridiculous. And it was ridiculous at the time. It's just now it seems even more ridiculous. Now we have to try to figure out what does the world look like when work is no longer work and why have I been commuting all these years when I could do all this work from here? And me personally, I find myself watching reruns of basketball games and baseball games just because I can see crowds of people all standing together and high-fiving each other. And I guess I need to see that. I guess I need to see congregants of one form or another. Sport is a form of religion. Don't kid yourself. It's tribal, you paint your face in the colors, you live and die by your team, you come together with your group against other groups, the worst part of what any tribalism can give you. And I I do want to make a point that religion can be devolving into tribalism, but it could also aspire into the best and most honored angels of who we are as people. I saw a, a huckster, a... I can't remember his name, and I don't care to, but he was a televangelist who was yelling at the TV, at the camera and yelling into the TV that, you know, out devil, out devil, you know, which of course ended with the pitch of, and if you want to help us get the devil out, please contribute now to our fine, fine way of life. Be careful of the charlatans. Be careful of the people who will feed on you. Keep your center. Build your center. Reach out to friends, to family, to people you kind of knew but didn't really have much to do with. I've had a few people do that with me, and it's made an impression on me that people who I don't really keep in touch with that much were phoning just to say, going down the list and seeing how people are doing. And I think of my friends who live alone, and they like living alone. It's not a punishment, but living alone right now could probably, in my imagination, get pretty tough. Pretty tough indeed, so reach out to them. So that's our not-that-kind-of-rabbi installment for this particular day and this particular time. Try to listen to music that you love. This is the, uh, remember the slow movement? Well, this is a slow movement that's been imposed upon us. Let's take what we can from it and do what we can with it. 
and never forget it because it's popped us out of a false sense of reality that is often built on these pillars of sand, this consumer society that says, the only way this works is if you're inadequate, because you can't sell somebody something unless they believe that they need it, and they don't need it unless they're not adequate as they are. But if we can slow down that machine and that compulsiveness, we may find a more spiritual place to come from in which we don't decide that it is inadequacy that drives us, that it's just one more car away from being there, one bigger house from getting there. Maybe it's just good enough to be enough, to be a good enough parent, to be a good enough person, to have all your faults and all the things that are wrong, but all the things that are right. So a little self-love, a little self-care, in these times. I'm Ralph ben Murgi. I'm not that kind of rabbi. Take care of each other. Be safe. Listen to the advice. Stay away from each other as much as you possibly can. Wash your hands like a fiend. And be well. Be well.
this podcast has been produced by TMDS and accelerated by Rome Phone. Rome Phone brings you the most reliable virtual phone service to run your business and protect your home number 